I think it was, we were baptizing Colette and Oliver here. We baptized them, and the water symbolizes being washed clean of all sin and being immersed in God's love and united with Jesus in his death and resurrection. And then as they got out and were shivering on the stage before we let them go and uh, change, we gave them a candle each as a symbol that they belong to the kingdom of light and not the kingdom of darkness. Uh, God gives us the dignity of choosing. God is a God of love. He doesn't force himself. Love never forced himself. He invites us to turn our back on the darkness and to come to his light. Uh, and as they had chosen to follow Christ, we gave them a candle as a symbol of that light. Now, one little candle might look a bit pathetic, um, but it still shines brightly. But if you are in an extraordinarily dark place, a candlelight transforms it. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where there is no light at all. Uh, when I was 21, I spent a year in Israel. I spent some time working there on a Christian conference center, and I traveled around and saw the various sites. And one of the things I did in Jerusalem was to walk through Hezekiah's tunnel. This is an amazing feat of engineering from the 8th century BC. Uh, Jerusalem, mostly on a hill, walled city, had its water source down in the valley. Uh, and they were worried that uh, an invading army would surround the city and cut off the water source. So they built a tunnel, a bit like the Channel Tunnel, from both ends, from the water source and from the city. And amazingly, in the 8th century BC, they met up. Quite extraordinary. And you can walk through this now. So they brought the water source within the city. Uh, it didn't stop the Assyrians invading, but actually in Hezekiah's day, they were set free. Uh, you can walk through this. And I walked through it with my friend, Sinjin, who had a very powerful torch. Unfortunately, Sinjin's powerful torch didn't have a battery with much life in it. And halfway through this tunnel, the torch gave up. And uh, being 8th century BC, it wasn't an entirely smooth tunnel. Uh, the, the ceiling sometimes was above your head and sometimes here. And we could not see a thing. And it was a bit scary. And we were praying that there would be some other tourists coming through that tunnel that day. Uh, if they'd been going the other way, we might have gone back with them the way we'd come. But a group did come. We heard them before we saw them. Then we saw the flickering lights. And they had some spare candles and matches, and they gave us uh, a candle and some spare matches in case it blew out. Uh, and the difference one candle makes is such that we could carry on and we walked the rest of it. Just a small light transforms the darkness. Now, the heart of our passage tonight in Ephesians 5 is this verse 8. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Uh, in some of the places we work or in some of our homes or neighborhoods, there's a lot of darkness around. And your light may feel as pathetic as a candle, as it were. But you make a difference by being there. You don't see what it's like when you're not there. When we join our candles together, it makes an extraordinary amount of light. And our vision for the town is that we join together with Christians from all the other churches as we work together with things like the debt center in CAP and food bank and street pastors and other ways as we each work with children and young people and students and adults. And that together the light pushes back the darkness out of this town. That God's goodness would come more and more. Uh, I want to show you a picture, a satellite image at night. Uh, this is a satellite image of China. To the top left, you can see it's from the International Space Station. You can just see the, sort of the, the solar panels there. Up to the left is China, uh, full of lots of electric light there. Uh, the light, the massive light bright thing towards the bottom right is Seoul, South Korea, and all that is South Korea. 
the dark bit between China and South Korea is not sea, that is North Korea. And it's an extraordinary visual image of the darkness in that country. There is a little bit of light, that is Pyongyang, I think, there. But there is a country that is extraordinarily dark. At New Wine this summer, I had the privilege of listening to a seminar by Hei Wu, a marvellous, very short uh, North Korean Christian who'd served time in the labour camps, who'd planted a church in the toilets uh, place. That was the only place that they could meet and talk about Jesus freely. And she had escaped. There are tens of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of Christians there. We must pray for them. But it's a place of oppression of Christian faith. Do pray that as the country opens up to the West, the true light of the gospel gets hold and the light comes. But that is a picture, a place when the light's been suppressed and squashed, a, a dark place. We are to live with the light of Jesus Christ. Uh, if you've just joined us tonight and haven't followed through Ephesians, the first three chapters speak about who we are in Jesus. We are forgiven, we're adopted, we're chosen, uh, we're included in God's family. And the second half, from chapter 4, verse 1 onwards, you could put up chapter 4, verse 1, speaks about being who we are, living this out. So chapter 4, verse 1, Paul is in prison in Rome. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. This is a letter he sent to the church in Ephesus and to be read in all the churches around there. Uh, last week, we were in the second half of chapter 4. Adam was preaching. Quick recap, we had verses 17 to 18. Uh, he tells the church in Ephesus and insists on it in the Lord, don't live any longer as the Gentiles do. They were surrounded in Roman, Greco culture, uh, which he said was they were darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. We talk of ignorant ages as dark ages, but also a hardening of your heart away from God leads you to shutting yourself off from his light. Uh, and they were no longer to live like that. Instead, they were to live the way of Jesus. Uh, Adam talked about putting off the old ways and putting on the new ways. Uh, an illustration I've remembered a whole week, wherever Adam is, uh, he was walking down to church, uh, past a big puddle and a car, drove in the puddle and soaked him totally. Um, we were all very sympathetic at that point, Adam. I think. And he went home and changed, but didn't change his shoes. And then the wet shoes affected the socks and the trousers. We are told to get put off the old ways totally and put on the new ways. And some examples, just very quickly. They were to put off falsehood and speak truth, verse 25 of chapter 4. That's coming up in just a minute, I'm sure. Chapter 4, verse 25. Uh, there is put off falsehood and speak truth. They're to put off anger, or at least in their anger, not to sin, verse 26. When things happen to us, there is a righteous anger that's holy, but we're not to sin within that. We're to deal with it before bedtime. Don't let the sun go down. Instead, we're to be forgiving people. Uh, there were folks who were stealing, who were told not to steal from others, but to work, verse 28, and have something to give. And if people can't earn money from work, then they need to still find something useful to do. We need to help people into that. Uh, verse 29 to 32, uh, they were told, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, this is a great verse to a church, isn't it? Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander. I don't know what you think the church in Ephesus was like. He's told them not to lie to each other, not to steal from each other and to stop brawling. I don't know what you expect when you come to church. 
But the church in Ephesus was made up with people who had come to living faith in Jesus out of the dark culture around them, and they needed to be taught some basic Christian values. Instead of those things, they were to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other as in Christ God forgave them. They're to live in the light. And we finished last week with the first two verses that Katie read to us, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And tonight's passage is a continuation of this theme. We have been washed clean of the guilt and darkness because of what Jesus did for us. We're filled with his light, so we're to live as people of light. And it is a scandal when the church does not live like that, when the church lives in, in a way of darkness. And tragically, in the history of the church, there have been some terrible things done which put people off the beauty that is in Jesus. We're to represent him well. Uh, now, we still live in dark ages, if you like. Uh, there have been, there's been darkness all around the world in different places forever. Uh, listen, I've got a few quotes for you. See if you can work out when these were written. Just <clears throat> as I read this one, have a think about when it was written and you can whisper what you think to the person next to you. When do you think this was written? Uh, we live in a decadent age. Young people no longer respect their parents. They are rude and impatient. They inhabit taverns and have no self-control. Quick, when do, when do you think that was? How long ago? That was a lament on an Egyptian tomb from 4000 BC. <coughs> Here's one a bit more recently. Try this one. Youth has no regard for old age. The wisdom of centuries is looked down upon both as stupidity and foolishness. The young men are indolent. The young women are indecent and indecorous in their speech, behavior, and dress. Quick guess when you think that might have been written. A bit more recently than 4000 BC. That was Peter the Hermit in 1114 AD. Uh, here's one more for you. There is little doubt that the present generation of young men and women is in serious moral difficulty. Compared with previous generations, many have shunned discipline and a willingness to excel in their studies. Little or no thought is given to the serious issues of life, while common decency and modesty in manners and dress apparently are things of the past. The fact that evil is called good and good is called evil seems to be of small concern to them. Student groups indulge in wild orgies of self-gratification, while others dress and walk in a manner deliberately intended to arouse sexual desire. Both young men and women in their actions and conversations make sexual overtones in the most shameless fashion. Quick guess when that was written? Freshers' week, maybe? Um, Aristophanes, 500 BC. But, so... Now, there are some people in England who think that the sort of England's been going to the dogs since 1066. The, the point is, there has always been godlessness. And Jesus came to save us from our sin and darkness and set us on a way of purity and holiness that is good and healthy for us. And this theme of being light, which is verse 8 of our passage, uh, is a central theme in the scriptures because God is described as being light. Now, in uh, 1 John, the Apostle John wrote a letter uh, in his old age. In 1 John chapter 4, he says, God is love. This is 1 John 4, 16. And God is love is often quoted as if it's the only ethic there is. And the trouble is, if people treat that as the only ethic, uh, Christians wind up just trying to, as if it said, God is nice, and let's just be nice to people. Now, God is loving, 
But the same book tells us that God is also light as well as love. So 1 John 1, 5 says this. This is the message we've heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. We're not living out the truth. Uh, the book of Hebrews describes God's light like this. Our God is a consuming fire. That's Hebrews 12, 29. Now, the lights here have been dimmed for the evening congregation. Uh, some people, uh, well, me anyway, and anybody like me, rather like them bright so I can read what I'm doing. But I gather that most people like them dim. And uh, you can have that debate with Adam who controls the lights. Uh, but imagine that the lights were brighter. Imagine that football stadium lights were in here. That would be really uncomfortable in a place that we might burn a bit. I don't quite know how bright they'd have to be before we burn. But God is a consuming fire. His light is perfect. Our light comes from the sun, and we can't even look at the sun at 93 million miles. How much less can we, unless our darkness and sin is washed clean, engage with the purity of God? We can't. All of us need to be forgiven. But when we are, when we bow the knee to Jesus as Lord, he enables us to relate to him, the God who we couldn't possibly relate to before. Now, as we're coming to faith in him, we have a bit of a, a tussle. We're attracted to the light of Jesus, but there's something about that light that shows up the darkness in us, which repels us. Uh, you're attracted to pretty lights, so it'll be Christmas soon and the lights are gone in town. We love that. Uh, I'm less attracted to bright lights at five or six o'clock in the morning. So we've had five children, three of them were rubbish sleepers who'd get up before six. And as soon as they could, they would come into our bedroom door and hit the light switch before we knew they were there. Uh, that is really uncomfortable. You just want to hide under the duvet. Now, as you're coming to faith in Jesus, you're drawn to his light, but the light shows up stuff that's uncomfortable. God gives us the dignity of choosing which way is our life going to go. Is it going to go the way of Jesus' light? Or are we going to turn our back on that? Now, whatever choice we make, God will honour for all eternity. But I imagine most of us here are here because we've chosen to follow Jesus. If that's not yet you, we'd love to help you explore your Christian faith. Uh, do join Alpha on Wednesday. But once we've set our course of following Jesus, we are to live that out as children of light. Uh, and the passage goes on today to give a few more ways to do that. Uh, we've already had quite a few from last week to stop lying and stealing and brawling uh, and to live in the opposite spirit. Here from chapter 5, verse 3, we get a couple more. Among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed. These are improper for God's people. Now, there are people who reckon the church is hung up about sexual morality. I don't think we are. I think we live in a world that is hell-bent on sexual immorality, and we are called to call the world back to standards that are good for us, the way God's made us. God's, sex is a wonderful, good gift from God that is designed uh, between a man and a woman in lifelong marriage. And when sex is outside marriage and breaks down other marriages and families, that is disastrous for everybody. This is a powerful thing we must love and honour carefully. Uh, and, and we must speak to the world around us and point them back to the standards of Jesus. 
But that's not the only thing we care about. Here's this, here St. Paul puts this with greed. That's as much of a problem. You think of the banking greed that went on that led to the crash 10 years ago, as a result of which there's all this austerity, as a result of which we need more food banks and cap debt centres. I don't know if you saw the programme on Friday night on BBC Two about the, the cap ministry, the Christians Against Poverty. I praise God that we've got this ministry in this town and the food banks and the street pastors and so on uh, to help people. But it's tragic that they're needed. But in the places of darkness where this is needed, we are to shine with the light of Jesus. Uh, but it's difficult to do this, particularly when the world attacks us. Uh, I, put, I think the hardest place to be a Christian is secondary school. That was the place I was most useless at it. Uh, you teenagers, teenagers, we're delighted you're here. It's a tough environment and we honour you, look after each other, we're praying for you. And but when you shine with the light of Jesus, others will be watching. And if it's true in you and real, they will be drawn to you. So they'll give you a tough time for it, as they do in many other environments. And the danger is when we as Christians find the toughness too hard to handle and we hide. Uh, I love this illustration from the Alpha Course, one of my favourite ones. Right at the end of the Alpha Course, when many people have decided they want to follow Jesus, there's a session on following him. And there's this great illustration that I really love. Uh, it's from a few years ago, but I think you might enjoy this. A young police officer was taking his final exam at Hendon Police College in North London. Here is one of the questions from several years ago. Uh, you are on patrol in outer London when an explosion occurs in a gas main in a nearby street. On investigation, you find that a large hole has been blown in the footpath and there's an overturned van lying nearby. Inside the van, there is a strong smell of alcohol. Both occupants, a man and a woman, are injured. You recognise the woman as the wife of your divisional inspector, who is at present away in America. A passing motorist stops to offer you assistance and you realise here's a man who's wanted for armed robbery. Suddenly, a man runs out of a nearby house, shouting that his wife is expecting a baby, and the shock of the explosion has made the birth imminent. Another man is crying for help, having been blown into an adjacent canal by the explosion, and he can't swim. Bearing in mind the provisions of the Mental Health Act, describe in a few words what actions you would take. Uh, this officer thought for a moment, picked up his pen and wrote, I would take off my uniform and mingle with the crowd. <laughs> and uh, I think it's very hard to blame him for that. Uh, but the danger is, as Christians, when we find the darkness around or the ridicule so overwhelming that we do the equivalent, that we cover up the lightness that's Jesus and hide. And when that happens, of course, the world gets worse. Jesus described uh, Christians as the light of the world and the salt of the earth in a day when salt wasn't used so much for flavouring chips as for preserving meat. They didn't have fridges, so if you got some meat, you'd rub salt in it to preserve it. If the salt's not there, the meat will go bad. If Christians are not involved bringing God into these places, of course we can't complain when the world gets more and more immoral and things go wrong. We are to be involved, we're to be light, but it's hard. So how do we do that? Uh, it's great to have Jeremy Sampson with us from the King's Orchestra. Uh, I am not massively musical. I failed my grade five piano. I got a little bit of music in me, but not a lot. If the spirit of Jeremy came into me, then I could play beautiful music, or the spirit of Mozart, I could play beautiful music. Uh, but they haven't, so I can't. 
I quite like bat and ball sports, but I've never been very good at football. But if the spirit of Harry Kane came into me, then I could play lovely football and score goals. On my own, I'm not very good at living a life of light in the world around. But when the spirit of Jesus Christ comes into me and fills me with his light and his love, then I can begin to make a difference. And so in our passage later on, if we go to verse 15 of our passage, uh, we read Paul telling them that they are to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. Let's just get this, pick this up from verse 15. Uh, in the light of all of this, we live in a dark world, we're to be light. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Don't be foolish, understand what the Lord's will is. Do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, Christians and the Bible are not against alcohol. Uh, the Psalms say God gives it to us for us to enjoy. Paul tells Timothy to drink a little for his stomach's sake. Jesus, for goodness sake, told us to remember him with bread and wine. What the Bible is against and Christians are against is drunkenness, because that never leads to anything positive. As I said earlier, God invented sex. It's a good gift. Christians are not against sex, but in the right place. And Paul here says, don't be drunk on wine, or beer for that matter, or anything else. You are to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. Now, if someone is drunk on wine, you can tell. Some people slide quietly under the table. Some people get very violent. Other people go around kissing you, saying that you're their best friend, which is equally unpleasant sometimes. Uh, the point is, you can tell. If you are full of Holy Spirit, people should be able to tell. If we're full of the light of Jesus, it should make a difference. Now, if you just have a sip of wine or half a glass of wine, nobody knows. If you just have a sip of Jesus and Holy Spirit, all very nice, but it won't make the blindest bit of difference. If you just come to church once in a blue moon and never pay any more attention, it's not going to change your life. We're to be filled with the Spirit. We're to bow our knee to Jesus as Lord fully. That's why if you're not yet a Christian, we encourage you to think it through. Come and ask questions because this is a big commitment. But we're to be filled with the Spirit and the Greek is a present continuous. That's not a one-off be filled it's be filled and go on being filled day after day after day and we need that because frankly we leak we get things wrong and we need God to fill us up we need to get rid of the bits in us that are darkness to repent of the bits where there's unforgiveness uh, where there's where we're tempted not to tell truth or there's lies where we're holding on to grudges whatever it is where we're greedy or proud we need to empty those out and make room to be filled with God's Holy Spirit and when that happens, it makes a difference. So the last few verses of our passage. Uh, don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We'll look at what submitting looks like in the following weeks. Paul gives examples of husbands and wives submitting to each other. Parents and children. Bosses and workers. But the difference when we're filled with the Spirit is instead of complaining about everything, we are known in this country by the Australians as whinging poms. We're really good at, at complaining. We're to be thankful people. We're to be joyful people. We're to be encouraging each other. We're to submit to each other. 
Tragically, in churches, when people cut the Holy Spirit out and just try and do church respectively, we become like the Pharisees, where we complain about everything and we don't submit to each other, we're not grateful, it's horrible. But when we're filled with God's Spirit, we become more and more like Jesus. We've got a long way to go, but that is where we're heading. Jesus is the most attractive person that's ever lived, a perfect life that attracted people from all walks of life. He shone his light so much so that it was un so uncomfortable to the powers that be, they crucified him. And it turned out that God used that for the best good ever. Jesus is now risen and ascended and glorified and is pouring out his spirit and is for you and me that we can be filled afresh with the love and light of Jesus and the courage to take that light to the world around us. So that's what we're going to pray. Would the band come back, please? And please would you stand and we'll pray into this. If you're a visitor here, let me just explain. I'm going to lead in a prayer that picks up the themes of the sermon. I'm going to ask God to come and minister to us by his spirit. And we'll take a minute or two just being still and allowing him to do in us individually whatever it is he wants to do. He may convict us of particular things that we need to deal with. Maybe things with alcohol I've touched on. It may be inappropriate relationships that we need to deal with. Maybe anger or grudges or lack of forgiveness, any one of those things. It may be God's calling us into a place to go and shine with his light. And we're wondering if it's just a dark place. How will we cope? Well, God will equip us by his spirit. So we pray. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that you are the light of the world. And we welcome you. Come and fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, with your light, with your love. And help us to become more and more like you. Individually, as a church, together with the Christians in this town, right around the world, we long that your church would shine with the light of Jesus. Forgive us when we've done the opposite. But fill us now, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's just be still before him.